Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with strength and conditioning coach and head of sports science at Notre Dame, Jordan Webb. Thanks for tuning in to episode 122 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today I have Jordan Webb, who is the now newly appointed uh, strength and conditioning coach and head of sports science at Notre Dame University. So really appreciated Jordan coming on, um, especially in such a busy time for him and getting things sorted for his new role. So with the chat with jo- in the chat with Jordan, we chat uh, Tableau and Shiny Apps and the the kind of data visualization tools that are coming quite cool, becoming quite cool to be uh, to be using at the minute. So we also discussed the kind of need to be able to understand uh, statistics and basic statistics as, a, as an SNC coach and a, and a sports scientist. So as well as that, we move on to the kind of coaching side of things. Uh, we look at the Exos model and what Jordan's taken from that and how he kind of applies that in a, in a non-Exos setting. Uh, which was really, really interesting and I'm sure something that many, many people out there who have been on the Exos courses will f- find uh, really interesting. So just before we get into the chat with Jordan, just want to say a massive thanks to Vald Performance, makers of the Nord Board and the Groin Bar for sponsoring the episode today. So they've recently launched the Groin Bar, which is a hip and groin measuring device. So if you want to know more about that, you can go to at groinbar on Twitter or visit groinbar.com. So massive thanks to them guys as usual for their continued support. So hope you enjoy the chat with Jordan and I will speak to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today I have the pleasure in speaking to the new strength and conditioning coach and head of sports science at Notre Dame and Jordan Webb. So welcome to the podcast, Jordan. Hey, thank you. It is absolutely my pleasure to be on. This is uh, really exciting. No, it's good to have you, mate. Do you, anyone that doesn't know who you are and uh, maybe uh, what your background is, you just want to give us a little introduction about you? Yeah, I, uh, I've been a bit of a gypsy. I've worked in the MLS, uh, the NBA, the NFL, and I've worked for Athletes Performance, uh, or formerly Athletes Performance Exos now for a number of years. And I currently just took a role with University of Notre Dame. So I have a background as a strength and conditioning coach. And uh, as much as I despise the, the term sports scientist, I would say more than anything, I'm just pretty good at dealing with numbers on a computer. You know? Do you want to name drop? Name drop, Jordan. Name drop some teams yeah, on your CV. So- I was with uh, the Seattle Sounders of the MLS. I worked with the Oklahoma City Thunder of the NBA. I was with the Cleveland Browns uh, one season. It was a tough year. And I was with the Chicago Fire of the MLS uh, this last season. And why do you hate the term sports scientist so much? I, I don't want to say hate. That's a bit I, – I Okay. Think that, I Sorry. Think that dislike. It's, dislike. I think it's just a bit overused. Um, especially in the U.S., uh, everybody and their mother, if they had any experience with GPS data, they say sports scientist. And to me, someone that's a scientist is actually doing is doing research. But uh, I think it's just a discrepancy on terms, really. 
So this, so this new role, which is SNC coach and head of sports science, just want to talk to us a little bit about the new role and maybe a little bit of um, kind of a background on on why you've made the transition from pro sport to to work in a university. Yeah, so I I left I left uh, Exos about a year ago to take the role as the head of physical preparation for the Chicago Fire. Had um, some philosophy differences with the head coach, and we we had a really rough year. We were the worst in the league, and we just kind of decided to to go separate directions. So I've been, you know, looking for a new a new role. Uh, I ended up hooking up with Duncan French. Uh, Notre Dame's only about two hours away from Chicago, so I ended up kind of meeting up with Duncan French at Notre Dame. He's the director of performance sciences there, so he's over the whole. Um, student athlete population, and he kind of convinced me to apply for the job that I, I didn't even know was there. So very long interview process. It took about a, about a month, and it was the best interview I've ever had to do. It was, it was great. I had to do a practical coaching session, a presentation, interview from all the different departments. It was a really thorough um, evaluation process. I, I, I quite enjoyed it, but. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I, I took the role, and I'm going to be working with men's soccer. I, I took um, partly took Matt Howley's position because he's moved on. I So I'm with men's soccer, and I believe it's going to be women's rowing. I haven't started officially yet, by the way, but I'll be with, I believe, women's rowing. And then my, my quote-unquote sports science side, I will be helping Duncan facilitate um, projects throughout the university. So I might be working with – uh, football for helping them with something, then hockey and helping them facilitate something. I, I really, it's going to be a pretty broad, a broad role, and I'm I'm excited for the challenge. And then I'm going to hopefully, fingers crossed, be working on my PhD while I'm there uh, in an applied setting. So helping to kind of solve some issues in the student athlete population, and hopefully doing some research on it and, and working towards a PhD. Nice. So your background, I mean, obviously you did dislike for the kind of or misinterpretation of the the, uh, the title sports scientist. Have you always been a – obviously you're going to be doing hands-on coaching at, at Notre Dame. Has is, is there been a bit of a transition from a, what we quote-unquote sports scientist to be a hands-on coach? Or has that always been kind of – everything's been mixed up throughout your career so far? It's really been it's really been mixed and matched. I, I – mm. uh... Yeah, it's been really mixed and matched. I, I started off um, doing strength and conditioning in – I got injured in college. and played. I played college soccer, and I got injured there, and I ended up kind of volunteering to help our, our varsity program do the strength and conditioning for the men's and women's team, really just out of, <laughs> out of necessity because I, I didn't know what to do with myself, and I, I really started to enjoy the training people. Um, then while I was at Seattle – Dave Tenney kind of introduced me to Omega Wave and the Polar System and started to really help me learn some more of the, you know, I'll call it performance analytics skill set of, of managing information and how do you report on the, that information. So all the different jobs I've had, I've had different kind of combined roles. Like at Oklahoma City Thunder, I helped Mark Simpson, who was the, the sports scientist there half the time, and then I helped Dwight Dobb, the head of strength and conditioning, the other half. So I, I've been able to do a lot of different projects uh, in different roles with different places that I've been. When I was with the Browns, I was just strictly a, a sports scientist and I managed the GPS, the GPS and kind of wellness data and, and help 
tried to help make better decisions as far as, you know, training and, and recovery interventions. Mm-hmm. One thing that I wanted to touch on with you, obviously with your kind of background as, as both a, a hands-on coach and a, and again, quote unquote, a sports scientist and a few things, a few people that I've spoke to this about, um, uh, on a podcast and, and privately is the is practitioners being critical with with the use of technology and question actually what is being um being spat out of these whether it be a, a gps system or an omega wave or a heart rate system or whatever it may be what advice would you give people and maybe a little bit of, of your experience would be great in um kind of deciphering that and and what process might people go through to actually question what they're actually what data they're actually um getting out of these and and yeah how would people go about questioning that should people question that how do people question that (laughs) yeah i think i think starting with the validity and reliability of of the data that you're getting i i myself am guilty of this and i know a lot of my other fellow coaches are is gps data we know that has some issues with with reliability and um, something like Omega Wave, uh, there's a lot of factors that can influence autonomic system balance. You know, did a guy have a, a rough ride into work? Did he drink coffee before he did Omega Wave? I just think you have to be really careful and know all the constraints of the data that you're getting. Um, and I, I think those things can give you really good information, but they can also be very misleading if you don't know the constraints that you're getting. But m- more specifically, I think it really kind of comes down to communication. I've had more luck with holistic programs, holistic sports science programs. And by that, I mean, we're looking at player wellness. We're looking at recovery. We're looking at the load they actually did, looking at how they've performed from a day-to-day, game-to-game basis, and looking at their capabilities of performance testing. I, I think when you look at the broad spectrum of collecting information, if it's if you have all those boxes checked, you can tell a much cleaner story than if you just have a really good technology in one of those. So, for example, if you only have GPS, but you don't really have an idea of anything else, it's hard to paint the whole picture of what's going on. So I would rather have subjective information across the spectrum than have a one very good objective piece of information. And if you don't have good communication lines and good systems in place with your staff and with the, the coaches, I'm not really sure any of that information matters. It's it's just sort of collecting data for the sake of validating your own job. Um, yeah, did I get off track there a little, Rob? I'm sorry. Yeah, that's fine, mate. That's fine. That's yeah. fine, mate. Don't worry. So for so for someone who's maybe in a um, a club that's not as money uh, cash rich as, as some others and are seeing the kind of bigger boys um tech gps for example get gps and they're they're kind of thinking we're, we're falling behind a little bit what process would you go through as a as a sports scientist i suppose with that hat on to actually evaluate firstly should you get it in the first place and if the answer is yes which system should you go with i i think first First, you have to evaluate, do you have the personnel to do the job appropriately? Yes, it is a full-time job. I've seen numerous times in the U.S. that it's 
it's thrown on to somebody like, I mean, for example, last year I was helping with return to play. I was doing the team warmups, the team lift, team injury prevention, and managing the GPS data all at the same time. And it was, it was too much for one person to do well. So I think first, do you have the staff to have that type of technology? Secondly, do you have uh, coaches that are open to that type of technology? If you don't, you know, there's something to be said for collecting information and slowly working on them. But my question then is, is especially in pro sports, when you know you, you might only have one season or two seasons, is your energy better spent on developing relationships with the players and investing energy into their robustness versus investing energy into, you know, what I would call predictive things like GPS and, and uh, Omega Wave and the such. I, I really think that investing in, in sound training techniques and relationships with the players is going to get you a lot farther than that. But, you know, assuming that we have those boxes checked, uh, then, you know, I, I've used um, a lot of different systems and I, I think it's important to they all have their plus and minuses. I mean, I really like Catapult. I really like Stat Sports. I've used uh, Zephyr in the past, which was a tough technology to use. I, I like GP Sports, personally. And I really think it depends on what your needs are. If you have somebody that has a strong background in analytics and managing data, I don't think that you need something like uh, – what I'm sorry, what do they call it with the Catapult? The um, Open Field? Yeah. I personally don't really need anything like open field because I would pull data into database and do my own, you know, visualizations in, in Tableau or R or something of the like. So if, if I had a one man staff and didn't really have a lot of manpower, I'd probably use catapult and use open field because I think it has really great reporting tools. If I had a bigger staff, I'd probably go something that was a little more flexible that I can program into like GP sports. So that brings you nicely onto um, the data visualization tools that you that yeah, one that yeah. you spoke about with Tableau, and I was, we we're just speaking off air about um, someone that I'd, I'd spoke to over here, and it's becoming more and more popular. Whether it be Power BI, Alteryx, Tableau, what can these what can these offer the maybe the team that has um, a bigger staff? And maybe someone that's dedicated to this. What kind of things can they offer, and maybe worth investing time in learning for the sports scientist who's probably doing things in Excel? What can it do that Excel can't? Right. Uh, that's a, that's Sorry a big to put question. You on the spot. <laughs> oh, no, 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 that's a big why, question. Why would I you use Tableau? Put it that I way. can only talk about my own experiences. So I've used absolutely. I've used Excel and Power Pivot. Uh, I've touched a little bit on the Power BI, which is sort of in the Microsoft suite, which is mm-hmm. seems very promising, but I, I, I don't have a lot of experience with it yet. Um, Tableau is absolutely fantastic for managing data. I'm sorry, not for, for visualizing on data and being able to do a really quick analysis. The, the tough part is when it comes to sort of automation of sending reports, you really need to invest a lot of money into Tableau. I mean, I... I quote me if I'm, I, I could be wrong, but I think it's like $500 per person who's going to view an online dashboard, which is really wow. pricey. But yeah. Tableau is super quick and you can mock up, if you know what you're doing, you can mock up a dashboard or a port or some kind of analysis visually very quickly. Uh, I mean, there was times this year where the head coach would ask me a question and he'd be like, well, get back to me tomorrow. 
And by the time he was done saying tomorrow, I could pop a report up and like, well, is this what you were looking for? <laughs> so being able to kind of iterate on the fly was really nice with Tableau. Now, it, it lacks a little bit of stability. It lacks a lot of data management stuff on the, on the, on the far end. If you're trying to combine data from uh, RPE information from uh, you know GPS or recovery questionnaires or performance data, you have to have some kind of tool in the background to 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 keep all that data together. Which you could use Excel or some kind of database. I, I've used you know MySQL pretty extensively, or used uh, Microsoft Access as well. Um, the direction that I've been personally going is with uh, R Studio and R and a package called R Shiny. So it's free open source software that you can host um, live online dashboards. So I, I've been working since I, I kind of separated ways with Chicago in November, and I, I has been kind of working on some Shiny examples, which I maybe we can link to in the show notes of a, a dashboard. Absolutely, hundred percent. It's really powerful software, but there's a big learning curve. So those are kind of the technologies that I've used in the past, and they all have their pluses and minuses. It's it's um, I would really recommend anybody that's doing sports science to learn to learn Shiny and learn R. I, I think that it's it's a really flexible tool, and it would allow you to do anything that you need to do. But it doesn't iterate as fast as something say like Tableau. So I, I personally use Tableau now to kind of like play with my data and sort of figure out, you know, look at trends and look at things. And then I'll make a final uh, report or dashboard in R Shiny or R Markdown. So when you compare Tableau to Excel, it's, so you've got your data in Excel and Tableau is just pulling it in and making it look nice? Yeah, that's that's okay. basically what, what Tableau does. Tableau also has a lot of like kind of neat backend features to pull data from different sources Yeah, as well. Just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Jordan Webb. So I hope you're enjoying part one. So just want to let you know that if you go over to strengthofscience.com, which as I've said previously is the new home of the podcast where you can get all previous episodes on there as well. If you go on there on strengthofscience.com, you can get a free Dan Baker webinar, which he did for me um, just over a year ago now. So there's, there's lots of great information in that webinar with Dan. So it lasts an hour, so people paid for it at the time. Um, but because it's obviously over a year old, I'm, I've given it away for free. So just pop your details in on the website and you can get access, lifetime access to Dan Baker's webinar as well as, as, well as the PDFs which accompanied it. So really cool webinar and I'm sure, you'll, uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So make sure you check it out. So back to part two with Jordan. Hope you enjoy it and I will speak to you soon. Just want to move on to, and I'm, I'm conscious not to, to stick around the kind of sports science stuff too much and actually move on to the, the coaching side of things. Um, obviously with a, with, a, with a background such as yours with the, the kind of athletes performance exos uh, influences, I'd just love to get your take on kind of what you've, what you've, taken with you really moving from um an, an athlete's performance in exos and what you're going to take into a non-exos environment what you would kind of handpick from their philosophy and what you would not and add in you know the things that you would add from your other external influences okay yeah looking at 
looking at um, where to start with this. Looking at kind of I, any good coach that I've ever seen, they have a they have a system with with methodologies that they use. And I think the thing that Exos does absolutely unbelievably is they have a fantastic broad system for training athletes. In you know, originally it kind of started as a facility-based model, right? And there's a lot of things about their programming that had some interesting um confines well with with the constraints that they had at the facility they were at so for example i i, I could be totally misquoting this and anybody at exos i'm sorry if i if i got we'll tell them don't worry exos exos generally runs on a four day or a, i'm sorry a six day training cycle right so you've got a monday tuesday or you know you're doing uh, movement skill or agility and you're doing lifting and you're doing energy system development. Wednesday's a regen day. Thursday and Friday are mere Monday and Tuesday and Saturday's a regen day, Sunday's off. And the reason that they had that was because on Wednesdays they couldn't originally get the uh, the gym because tennis was in there. Wow. <laughs> and, and, and the program makes sense. It's fantastic. And I use, I've used a four day split in the same way. Just the programming makes sense, but the constraints of it are very interesting when you start learning about some of these systems. So I think it's really important anytime that you look at anyone's system or anybody's programs, you have to understand the constraints. So what I really like about Exos is they have a methodology from injury prevention to training different types of speed and agility to training different strength qualities and power qualities in the gym to fitness training. And they have everything kind of check marked out and it's a system that hopefully someday I'll be running, you know, a team and having people working under me and being able to take a system like that is, is really helpful in getting everybody to communicate the same way and work together. What's great about theirs is that it's, it's not, it's not just the Exos way. You can use bits and pieces of it here and there where it, where it fits. Right. So for me, um, I really got a lot of my, I started taking a lot of the pieces from Exos to create kind of my systems that I use. And I'd say it mirrors Exos is a lot, but it also mirrors a lot of the fitness stuff that I get from, uh, I think Joel Jameson does a fantastic job with energy system development. So I use a lot of his concepts. Uh, I use a lot of Mike Robertson and Bill Hartman's from IFAST, their stuff on injury prevention and kind of core training and uh, movement screening and the such. So but the nice thing is anytime that I see, I find a new technique or something, it really, it fits into my kind of base exosystem. Uh, for example, you know, going into a team setting, a facility model doesn't really work on a team setting, but I can still take a lot of the components. I could put the, the warm up into the warm up and kind of hit a little bit of the movement skill or agility in our warm up. And the, and every day I could do a little bit of what they call pillar prep or our, injury prevention exercises as, as, as the guys are going out the door to the field. And when we do our gym sessions, I, I had kind of a scaled down model of what we did, you know, in the facility there. So all the pieces work. It's just a good way to help you stay kind of balanced, I think. So at the, um, at the fire last season, what was your, what was your weekly structure like? Was it, did yeah. it mirror that with the, with the kind of Wednesday off and play on a Saturday? Um, it, it really, it really kind of varied on, how how the guys were feeling and what was going on. But normally, say we played on Saturday, um, 
the guys would have Sunday off. We'd come in for Monday, a regen session. Tuesday, then we'd trade Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and have a game on Saturday. We would try to do uh, – I would have individualized injury, for, injury prevention programs for just about everybody in the morning. We would do at least one decent strength session, but I didn't have a lot of time. We only had about 15 minutes or so for the, the strength session. And I had to get, you know, 24 guys in a, a gym with four racks. So <laughs> it was it was tough. So we really we really were really efficient with how we did things. So, but we were able to get the guys a pretty decent stimulus. I mean, a lot of a lot of just basic compound movements. We did, you know, trap bars and chin ups and push ups and rows and your basic movements. And I we had a relatively healthy team and I I think a lot of that was the guys had a pretty good foundational level of just basic strength. I'm really conscious to to ask certain things that you may not be able to, to talk about, but I'd be really interested to hear about the um, the individualized injury prevention that you did at the, at the fire and how you the kind of process you went through to be able to create that. Yeah, okay. Um, we had a really great staff with Mario Cruz, who's now at, uh, at Atlanta, and Steve, who is now he's the head he's the head um, athletic trainer there. So we kind of put our heads together and we had a basic. Um, assessment we did uh, fms y balance a, th- a single leg three hop test and they did an orthopedic screening so from that we kind of sat down and we went through fms priorities and y balance priorities and what we really found was i think what everybody sees we, we put guys into buckets so i had the biggest issue being rotary stability secondarily being active straight leg raise and then from a orthopedic and kind of wide balance, we had some asymmetry and single leg single leg things as far as um, strength, power, and uh, ankle range of motion was a big one from the orthopedic screening. So guys that had ankle injuries, previous ankle injuries or had ankle restrictions, they were on a uh, ankle kind of maintenance program. From an FMS perspective, that's kind of the what I focused on. And a lot of it really ended up being addressing that soft core that 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 soft core issue which we got a lot with basic kind of elbow to knee rolling patterns if you've ever seen any great cook stuff yeah, which yeah, yeah. the guys you know they laughed at it at first until they realized they couldn't do it then i kind of got <laughs> it. um you know we, we would progress those exercises up through you know supine to prone to to kneeling to you know split stance to base position uh, and guys got a lot out of that. And then we also did, for our active straight leg raise, in my opinion, you know, and a lot of it, if it's not a, a tissue extensibility issue, so we would break out and look at if it's a tissue extensibility or kind of a joint mobility dysfunction, they maybe have got a little bit of junk in their joint, we'd figure that out. But a lot of it ended up being a central nervous system issue, sort of a stability and motor control issue. And in my opinion, a lot of that comes from guys they just don't have as mike robertson likes to say they don't have abs so we would start them with a basic supine a kind of uh, dead bug and leg lowering progressions and work our way up to appropriate core and then a big a big kind of injury prevention point for me is can we make sure that that thoracolumbar joint is it stays in flexion and we keep a good diaphragmatic and kind of pelvic position stacked on top of each other and then you get that from Uganda, you get that from the DNS, the Prague School, and you get a lot of that from postural restoration. So, you know, like I said, the IFAS guys were a big influence on me. And that being a big key thing, I think we were able to return a lot of basic soft core function, which freed up all the groins and the hip flexor issues. 
Um, we had a couple guys. I had a goal, one of the goalkeepers had chronic back pain for years, and uh, we just regressed him, and he, he was pain-free, which was really kind of cool to see some just really basic core exercises. Uh, and the guys really bought into that too, so that was really helpful. So after I found after kind of working on single leg training, getting guys abs, and then working on anybody if they had a previous hip flexor or hamstring or ankle, pretty basic kind of um, – maintenance programs that we would put them on. We had a lot of luck with that. And where did these, where did you leverage these in, in, in the day, in the structure of the day? Were they uh, pre-training or were they post-training as part of their strength sessions? So I probably had, we had 24 guys. I probably had five or six guys that came in and did their work daily. You know, they were the older kind of pro guys. And then I was really lucky with our head coach. He, um, we would do two or three times. We would do quote unquote core and that's where we kind of fit the correctives in. So it would be part of their their structure that they had to come in the gym before training or we would do it on the field and go through um, these kind of bucketed injury prevention programs. And what was the coach what was the coach like with lifting? You know, was he, he was he pro lifting? He was, was he, he was definitely pro lifting. I think we okay. had some if you've ever seen any of the videos from like Atletico Madrid, that's where he trained. Um, okay. I think those types of exercises are more what he felt um, soccer strength and conditioning looked like. And that 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 argument that not argument we we compromised and worked well together during the season, but we just had different philosophies on on how to train, and it wasn't it wasn't the right fit. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to kind of go on about this, but with not not specific Atletico, but with certain videos that come out and get a little bit of a, a slating. How, how do you feel that does that does that influence the people within football that we'd probably well from a I'm, I'm guessing a, I'm, I'm saying the philosophy of of the regular strength and conditioning coach. Does that make their job harder? Does that make your job harder that these I, things come out and get a lot of publicity? Here. Yeah, I think it does because it, it yeah. self perpetuates. The the nature yeah. of what we do is a lot of us probably if we don't want to admit it, we're trying to do the best we can for our athletes and do no harm, but we're also trying to survive and make money and, and you know, pay for our families. And Absolutely. the compromises that you have to make to to survive um can be quite challenging at times. So I think if somebody videotapes some of the things that I, I did, uh that every time I did it it probably killed me a little bit inside. <laughs> I'm terrible at my job. But truth be told, I'm just trying to survive in, in my opinion, uh, the soccer culture is is dated. It's it's not, it's not correct. The, the way that we, a lot of the times, the way we tra- physically train athletes. Now, there's there's teams out there that do a fantastic job. I'm not saying everybody's bad, but the the old school kind of, I hate saying old school, but the old school process it perpetuates because people are trying to survive. They do these things. Coaches think that's what they're supposed to do, and it just sort of carries on. I. I just finished reading um, Black Box Thinking, which is a, a great book, and it was the premise of it was about learning from failure. And <laughs> here's a good example is why bloodletting was so popular for so long was because there was really no process in place to to test it. There was no no way to say oh bloodletting works or it doesn't work. It just sort of perpetuated throughout the years. And I think a lot of the ways it's the same thing. There's a lot of training things that we do in soccer and a lot of sports that are just bloodletting. They we 
we say they work if somebody doesn't get hurt. And if somebody does get hurt, it's all of a sudden all the strength coach's fault. And then uh, it just perpetuates because nobody really can change the culture fast enough. Which is why it's so hard when these videos do come to light because no one knows the context. No one knows the scenario. It could be some dude who's on the brink of getting the sack and he's trying his best to appease the coach and do what he wants to do and it gets filmed and it goes all over the all over the internet and he's getting absolutely hammered left, right and centre. Well, and I feel bad from the coach's perspective. You know, like you, yeah. you get a new coach coming to a program. He's trying to win. Uh, maybe you're not doing very well. He's going to go back to what he's known been was successful for him as a player. It, it's just human nature. It's 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 these biases that um, I, I think understanding the way that the mind works and understanding uh, understanding biases is really important to communicate and, and try to change some of these things. It's it's a tough setting. I, I'm it's really tough. I'm really excited to go work at a place like Notre Dame with with Duncan French and really get a chance to do some progressive things, but. And the pro setting, these are just the realities. You know, you have to, you have to almost be excited by playing this game to do well. Mm-hmm. And from Duncan, who's also been involved in football, but in soccer, but over here, so it'd be interesting to see how he's, well, he's been involved in loads of different things, but how he's made that transition from professional football to English Institute to then obviously a university over there. Yeah, that'd be really, that'd be really interesting to hear. Get on the, yeah, should get I, on the podcast. I, I'll try to talk him into it. Duncan's. I'm excited to work with him. It was one of the the main yeah. reasons I, I took that job at Notre Dame. Was um, the fantastic university. Duncan's got a, an absolute exciting history, and I'm excited to learn from him. Absolutely. So you've mentioned a couple of people: uh, Matt Robertson, Joel Jamison, obviously Duncan. Who else has influenced you over the years? Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest ones was Mike Boyle. Um, you know, uh, when I was in college, I was a, a sports psychology major originally. Ended up with sports hernias my going into my junior year, and I, I couldn't play anymore. So I started kind of looking around on on the website to try to figure out what the heck a sports hernia was because nobody really knew anything at the time. And I found a, an article Mike Boyle did, and I got on his site and started asking questions and. And uh, that community really changed my, my career path. I, that's how I met Dave Tenney was through that website. I met uh, Patrick Ward's been a big influence on me and a friend for a number of years. Uh, if you don't know who Patrick Ward is, he's the, um, he's done all kinds of different things. He had his own facility, worked for Nike for a number of years. Now he's the, I don't know his exact title. I think he's the sports scientist or analyst for the Seattle Seahawks. Um, so Mike Boyle has been a big influence. The, you know, Dave Tenney's been an, a really big influence. He's been a mentor and a friend for me for a number of years. was really blessed to work with Dwight Dobb from Oklahoma City Thunder. He had uh, 17 years with the same organization as a strength coach, and he's an awesome, awesome coach, awesome guy. Uh, working with Darcy Norman from Exos, him and I worked together on a lot of projects at, while I was at Exos. He's at AS Roma now. He's been a big big friend and, and mentor for me as well. And the nicest guy in the entire world. Uh, he's, he's Canadian. He's yeah. Canadian. Yeah. He said that to me. I didn't even know that was a, that was a stereotype, but he fit oh, the bill. Really? Yeah. I didn't yeah. even know that. Yeah. yeah. Darcy's Darcy's a really, really close friend of mine and he's doing, he's doing some awesome stuff over at Roma. So it's pretty cool. 
And yeah, I mean, everybody that I've talked to has been a big influence of, you know, from a, from a coaching standpoint, Brett, Brett Bartholomew has been a big influence for me as well. I, I lived with Brett um, for a year when I first moved to Arizona. So Brett, you know, put me up and, and helped me kind of get on my feet when I moved to Phoenix. He's a great guy. He's been a good friend of mine for a number of years as well. You say you, we, we talked about um, my network. Wow, there's some hellish names there. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's good. Um, yeah, so I'm just, at first, I'm conscious of time. Um, and I just wanted to firstly thank you for, for giving up half an hour to have a little chat to us. But secondly, where can people keep up to date with what you've got going on? And you've got Twitter because that's where. Um, well, I think Callum made the link. Um, so where can people get on, get you on Twitter? Uh, Jordan V. Webb uh, is my Twitter handle. I don't go there yet. I'm still working on it. But if you go to webphysprep.wordpress.com, uh, I'm working on setting up a little bit of a blog. I've been notoriously terrible at doing social media things, so I'm trying to be, trying to be a little smarter about it um, and a little better about it. So I'm going to hopefully be doing that. And you can find me at uh, Facebook as well, um, just Jordan Webb. Nice. So what's the, what's the goal of the, the blog? Just to get your thoughts on paper or on the screen? You know, uh, Nick, another big influence of mine has been Nick Winkleman as well. Nick's, uh, Nick's yeah. really been – but you know, he, he kind of recommended this book, Essentialism, to me uh, a couple years Absolutely ago. Absolutely class, isn't it? Oh, it's fantastic. And I'm, I'm somebody that I'd like to chew off, bite off more than I can chew a lot. Which you know can be a problem because I end up not doing as well. So I've really wanted to be more organized with how I do my education this year, and I found that when I'm kind of teaching or writing, I learn more. Right. So I want to be focused on my education and try to put what I'm reading into a pretty good blog post. If it's about some injury prevention thing, I want to make a blog post about it and, and kind of quote the research and the books that I've been reading. Uh, you know, secondly, I want to promote, this is a, you know, a shameless plug here, but I'm trying to get a, a small clientele for some online training clients and some nutrition coaching. I just finished precision nutrition certification and have a huge passion for nutrition. I love to cook and, and do that stuff. So if anybody out there is interested in, uh, looking for some nutrition coaching, I'm, I'm trying to get a few clients and a few performance clients as well. Nice. All good. Well, thanks a lot for your time, mate. And um, shout out to Callum Walsh. I will. I'll be probably talking. I'll be probably talking to someone, talking someone's ear off as we speak. He's one of the only but, um, that can talk more than I can. So I. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I appreciate Callum for making the link and uh, and introducing me to you, mate. So thanks a lot for your time, and uh, and we'll speak soon. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, man. Thanks for tuning in to episode 122 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Jordan. Just to let you know, got a couple of great guests over the next two weeks coming on. Two guys who've uh, been involved in the last couple of Olympic cycles and have won some serious gold medals. So make sure you uh, you tune in for the next two episodes at least because uh, we've got some great guys coming on. So again, massive thanks to Val Performance for sponsoring the episode today. Really appreciate the support them guys are giving the podcast and continue to give the podcast. 
So thanks for tuning in again, and I will catch you in episode 123.